Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, uh, we said we believe in you. Uh, We said that we believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we said that we believe in the Holy Spirit. All of those statements uh, in one way is is just remarkable and and perhaps audacious, uh, and yet we believe it, it is right at the the center of our very life that we would know you. And it's our prayer that right now you would grant that, uh, that we would not just merely say, I believe, but that you would actually impart the reality. That you give us faith. And, and for those of us who, who say, I don't actually believe any of this stuff, but would you meet each one of us precisely where we're at and give the gift that we need today So we need you to do that, otherwise this is all worth nothing. But you promised to do it, so we're cashing in, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, Friends, uh, every week this autumn, we're asking basically the same question every week. And the question that we're asking is, how is it that we as Emmanuel Church, we're uh, a newish church, a lot, of, a lot of us here are new, some of, some of you are visiting for the first time, but a lot of us have just been here for a short amount of time, and, and as a church, we haven't existed for that long a time. We're trying to figure out how can we live out Jesus' vision for the church. We might all have different ideas on what a church, good church is like, but we want to be shaped by Jesus' vision. And the way we're going about answering that question and exploring that is we're uh, reading along with Paul, Paul's letter to the uh, uh, Colossians. And um, it's, the reading is on page 10. So each week we're reading a little bit more of this letter of Paul to the Colossians. And it's really helpful for us because Paul wrote this letter to a young church not dissimilar from ours, perhaps no bigger than ours. And he's saying, listen, Colossians, let me describe to you some of the fundamental things you need to understand in order for you to live up to uh, Jesus' vision or live out Jesus' vision. Now, that's kind of the big, uh, the big context, but here's what I want you to see today. In our passage, which is very, very dense, we're going to take three weeks to walk through just this reading, so today we're just looking at a little bit. But in this passage, Paul makes a, a remarkable statement. Look at it in verse 9, kind of right in the middle of the big paragraph. Uh, Verse 9, Paul, talking about Jesus, says this. He says, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then, very importantly, the the next line. And you, he says, meaning the Colossians, this church, have been filled in him. Now, I want you to focus on that phrase, you have been filled in him. What does that mean? It means something very important for us. One of the biggest questions, tell me if you think this is true later on. Um, One of the biggest questions that every human being can face is the question, how can I live a fulfilled human life? We might not phrase it in just that way. Sometimes we ask a little bit of a different question that actually hits at a similar thing. Sometimes we ask the question of identity. What does it mean to be me? Who am I? Who should I be? Who am I really? 
Now, that's a question of identity, but those two questions, how can I be fulfilled as a human being, and on the other hand, what does it mean to really be me, those two questions are fundamental to all of us. Even if you don't explicitly say it that way, it's underneath the surface, isn't it? And in Colossians, Paul argues that both of those questions are addressed surprisingly through Jesus' death and resurrection. In other words, according to the Apostle Paul, and this may sound odd, but we'll unpack it. According to the Apostle Paul, Jesus came and died and gave his life in order that, and this is where it gets weird, in order that he might give us a new identity, tell us who we are, and on the other hand, share his fulfillment with us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the key to our questions about identity. And on the other hand, it's the key to our quest for fulfillment. Now I look at some of you and you look at me like, no, that's weird. Okay, well, let's look at a couple verses. Let's look at verse 11. My, the whole sermon is just to flesh this out, okay? Look at verse 11 and we're going to unpack it, okay? Everybody look. Paul says this, in Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When poor Joseph was reading this, I felt sorry for him. He probably never had to say the word circumcision so many times in one sentence. Um, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Um, I just had to do it too, so it's fine. Um, okay, so <clears throat> let's just deal with it. Circumcision, nothing comfortable about that. But Interestingly enough, it's really important to the Bible, so we're going to talk about it a little bit, okay? Um, let me give you a little bit of backstory, and then we'll come, uh, we'll back into this verse. Um, the big story of the Old Testament, okay, the big story of the Hebrew Scriptures tells how uh, God created humanity for himself for a relationship with him, but humanity, all of us, have rejected that relationship in a variety of different ways. But the big story of the Old Testament really gets off the ground, the lift happens, when uh, God reaches down to a very particular people who weren't particularly looking for him, called Israel, God reached down to Israel when they were slaves in Egypt, and he rescues them. Now, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, they didn't really know much about God. Uh, as far as we know, God was kind of a distant memory. They had rumors, perhaps, but they didn't really know who God was. And Israel's primary identity, if you asked Israel, Israel, what is it that makes you you? They would have said something like this. We are slaves to Pharaoh and Egypt. It's the only thing we've ever known. It's who we are for as long as pretty much we can remember. Their identity as slaves dominated everything. But then, in the book of Exodus, God uh, steps into the scenario. Uh, it's not that Israel won their freedom. They didn't. Uh, God stepped in and rescued them, even when they weren't looking for it. And in that moment, their identity changed. It's a crucial part of the story. When God rescued them, re rescued them with the plagues and the Red Sea and Moses and all that, God looked at Israel and he said, Israel, you are no longer slaves. That's not who you are anymore, Israel. 
Israel says, who am I, God? And God responds, Israel, you are my son. You're my son. All of you together, as a nation, you are my son. That's your identity. Exodus chapter 4. And the sign that the whole nation together was now no longer slaves but God's son was that all the males were circumcised. Now, if I stop the story right there, apart from that very last bit, um, it, everything seems fine. But the story goes on. Why? Because here's the thing with circumcision. Circumcision was outward. But it wasn't necessarily inward. What does that mean? It became for Israel a kind of outwardly performed identity, but it wasn't, it didn't always connect with their inward real identity. See if you can identify with this. Um, all of us in our lives, right, we, we, um, we all perform a bunch of different identities. Right? All of us do. Um, we have professional identities, what school you went to, how, what your grades were, what job you got, and how quickly you've uh, succeeded or not. We have family identities. We, you know, uh, uh, sister, daughter, son, husband, father, whatever it might be. We have national identities. And all of those are identities, and you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but, but we perform them outwardly. But sometimes, and for some of us, very often, what we find in our life is that our outward performed identities don't always link up with our inward reality. There's a tension that we wrestle with, isn't there? Here's the person I project for everybody else. But then somewhere down here, there's something else going on. And sometimes I wonder, am I who I really am? Are my performed identities, do they connect with who I really am? I don't know. Okay, go back to Israel. Because on the one hand, they had this wonderful outward identity that they were trying to perform into to some extent. But it ended up that it was merely outward. It was merely cosmetic, not always, but often, merely performed, but it wasn't deep and inward and transformative. In other words, on the outside, they were officially, altogether, God's son. But inwardly, they didn't love God as father. Not really. Sometimes, when they were really being religious, they used God to get stuff. But they didn't really love him for who he was. Just think about this in your own family. Have you ever uh, had the experience of somebody who tells you, I love you, in your family maybe? But in the back of your mind, in the depths of your heart, you know that they don't really love you. They're just using you for whatever they can get out of you at the moment. Now, some of us have never experienced that, but many of us have. And if you have, you know that it's a troublingly toxic experience. And part of the great tragedy of the Old Testament is that Israel ends up, on the one hand, officially God's son, but on the other hand, a toxic son. Very often, Israel acts not like God's son, but rather like God's enemy. And they end up abusing nations around them, they end up abusing one another, and they end up uh, doing some pretty, pretty deplorable things. And here's the twist. Here's the twist. 
by the end of the Old Testament, what you find out is that Israel has this outward identity as God's son, but inwardly, what are they? What are they really? Inwardly, they're slaves. They're still slaves. They're not slaves to Pharaoh, but they're slaves to their own desires. They're slaves to their... um, they're, they're slaves to their own record of abuse very often, and they're slaves in a fundamental way to evil. Now, pause there. Because this is what unfulfilled humanity looks like. There's a way in which all of our stories echo Israel's, doesn't it? For instance... What do you do when your outward identities don't really fit? Now, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, when when we're faced with that tension, what we'll do is something like we'll try to change our performance in one way or the other. So uh, we'll try to change something outside us. We'll get a new job. We'll go back to school. I mean, these aren't necessarily bad things, but some of them are. Sometimes we trade in our families. But whatever it might be, what we're doing is we're trying to find a new technique that's going to make it okay. And Israel tried all of that. Uh, Israel uh, traded in God for some other ones. Uh, Israel changed their location several times. Israel changed their moral standards a bunch of times. But the one thing that never changed, that never changed is that they were always unfulfilled. Now, all that's background, but bring it back to verse 11. Because this is where the cross of Jesus Christ comes in. Look at verse 11 again. Okay, It says, we've been circumcised with a new kind of circumcision. A circumcision made without hands. That means by God himself, and it's the circumcision of Christ. What does all of that mean? Well, think of it this way. Israel had it merely outward circumcision. A merely outward identity. But you know what they needed? They needed an inward circumcision. They needed a new inward identity. Not just outward, not just performed by them, but but rather inward and real and transforming. They needed, in so many words, a far more radical circumcision. And in a remarkable remarkable way, that's exactly what Jesus came to give them. Or maybe it's better to think of it this way. When Jesus came, he came to exchange identities with them. You see, outwardly, Israel was God's son. But like we've said, inwardly, they were still slaves to their own desires and their own evil. On the other hand, Jesus is God's true son. Not just metaphorically, but true son. And he's God's son outwardly and inwardly. He doesn't use God. He loves God as his father from all eternity past. And he lives out that identity with perfect authenticity. And you can see that in the way he treats other people. Because he loves other people. He doesn't use them. He doesn't abuse them. He loves them. And he loves them to the point of self-sacrifice. And that's what brings us to the cross. Why? Because on the cross... Jesus was taking upon himself Israel's identity as a slave to sin. It was an exchange of identities. 
Jesus was taking into himself Israel's identity as a slave to evil. He was taking onto himself Israel's identity as a perpetrator of evil. All their broken and their false performances, Jesus said, you put that on me here, now. And when Jesus died, this is Paul's point, when Jesus died, it was an infinitely radical circumcision. Not just a small incision, not just a cosmetic outward thing, but Jesus' whole body was cut away. And when his body was cut away, that false identity was cut away. Israel's identity as a slave to sin was cut away. Israel's identity as a perpetrator of evil was cut away. Israel's inner, always unfulfilled self was cut away because it was attached to Jesus when he died. It's a bizarre story, isn't it? But wait, there's more. Because it keeps on going. That's only half the, the deal. Jesus didn't stay dead. He stopped being dead. He came back to life. And that's the other side of the exchange. Crucial. Because Jesus took Israel's toxic identity and it died with him, but also when Jesus rose from the dead, he imparts his real identity as an authentic son of God to us. Look at verse 13. This is why Easter is such a good day. But you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's everything we've been talking about, God made alive with Jesus. When he, rose, when he rose from the dead, having forgiven all our trespasses. See, this is the remarkable thing. When, when Jesus looks at us, do you, do you know this, friends? He, he looks at us from the cross, rather from his resurrection. And he says, you know, I know that you struggle with your false identities. I know that you live with a toxic, self-destructive self. And destructive to others. And I took that to myself and it died with me. But I have another gift for you. He says, I want to give you my identity. Not just an outward performance, but an inward reality. This is why we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit imparts this to us. Jesus says, when I rose from the dead, I will make your soul wake up. I will make your soul alive so that you know God as your father from the depths of who you are, so that you can love God as your father, not just using him, but loving him. And Jesus says, this is the fulfillment of human life, to know God as your father and to know me, says Jesus, whom, Christ, whom God has sent. It's a new identity, and it's the key to true human fulfillment. It's what you were made for. Can you see why it is the cross is so precious to us? I mean, it sounds crazy when you first hear about Jesus dying on the cross, doesn't it? It did to Peter. Did you pick that up in the, in the gospel reading? Peter hears about Jesus starts talking about dying, and Peter says, hey, you, hey, stop talking like that and start talking like a real messiah. And Jesus says, well, you need to stop talking like Satan. <laughs> Which is a pretty good comeback. <laughs> the cross of Christ tells you who you are. If you're a believer, the cross of Christ tells you who you are. 
The cross of Christ tells you that you can rest from your false identity and receive a fulfilled identity from Jesus. He's the only really fulfilled human. Verses 9 and 10. Excuse me. He's the fullness of God. And he fills us with himself. So that if you belong to Jesus, friends, you will never grow out of that story. You will spend eternity growing up into that story and all that it means. So that in 10 million years, do I sound crazy? In 10 million years, we'll look at each other and say, I've always known this, but now I know it. I didn't know it was this good. All right, I can imagine somebody coming back at me and saying, Jim, lovely. But what does it have to do with my life? Let's do a case study, okay? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story about Joe. Joe, I made it up. Joseph, this is not you. If you know somebody that I could use another name, but I wrote down Joe, sorry. It's just regular Joe. Okay. I want you to imagine that uh, uh, Joe, Joe's a a husband and dad, reasonably, he has a reasonable good job. It's not a great job, but it's an okay job. And one day, Joe wakes up at 3 a.m., and, uh, and he can't go back to sleep. He gets up, and, and, and he's all quiet, and he's alone, and he's surprisingly honest with himself. And here's what he realizes. He realizes that none of his identities really fulfill him. Not really. I mean, it's, it's not that he doesn't love his family. But there's times where uh, he could imagine a better life. doesn't tell anybody. Rarely tells himself. And the same is true for his job. Now, what does he do when he feels that tension? Joe generally does two things. One of two things. Sometimes both. Um, he, what he does is, the first thing he does is he tries harder. He just hits the gas. And he works harder at his job, and he works harder at being a dad, and he works harder at being a husband, and he just works harder, and he performs up. He performs. And sometimes that works for a little bit, but then it falls apart. And when it falls apart, he does the other thing he does, which is he hits the eject button. What does that mean? Well, it means different things. Sometimes he just flies off the handle at home. He flies off the handle in anger. Other times, he, he, he just goes off by himself with his phone, and he goes into fantasy land. And then other times, when he's in fantasy land, he starts to wonder if maybe it would be best if he just divorced all of his identities and started over. But then that doesn't work either, because he eventually works up, he wakes up, and he feels horrible, racked with guilt. Starts over. Now, I want you to imagine that Joe is in that place, 3 a.m., and Jesus shows up. And Jesus sits down with Joe, and Jesus looks into Joe's eyes, and he says this. Joe, stop your performing. And on the other hand, Joe, take your finger off the eject button. And instead, Joe... I want you to remember your baptism. And Joe goes, what? What? I don't even even remember my baptism. What are you talking about my baptism for? What does that have anything to do with anything? And Jesus says, according to verse 12, everything. Jesus says, at your baptism, Joe, when you went into the water, 
All of your false identities drowned in the water. All, Joe, of your hidden guilt was nailed to me in the cross. That's why you went into the water. It's what it means. And then, Joe, you came out of the water. And he says, when you came out of the water, Joe, that meant I was giving you a new identity. I was giving you a new name. I said, Joe, you have a new name, and your new name is Son of God, beloved of the Father, saint sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that changes your identity, Joe. And Joe, you're looking to your outward performance to tell you who you are, your job and your family and your relationships. And Joe, I gave you all of those things. They're not bad, but they were never designed to fulfill you, and they never will. You must let my cross define you, Joe. You must trust not in your performance, but in the work of God in you and for you. All right. Now pause. Look at verse 12, because I'm just paraphrasing. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were now raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the point. God has performed everything necessary for Joe's eternal fulfillment. And Joe, what Joe needs to do is when he feels the, the tension that all of us feel, he must use that tension to drive him back, not to the exit button, not to the eject button, not to performing more, but rather to the cross of Christ, because it's there that he receives the new identity that really fulfills. And that's when he sees that he has a security in the love of God that gives him power to go back to his life, back to his wife, back to his children, back to his job, not demanding that they fulfill him, but rather empowered to serve them because he's being fulfilled in Christ. Jesus tells him who he is, nothing else. And that's the identity that Joe was designed for. Friends, the cross of Jesus Christ is everything. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, first of all, we are so glad you're here. And this may sound bizarre, but you know what? We're going all the way. Let's go bizarre. Let me, let me say, Jesus gave his life to give you a new identity. It's really good. Will you consider it? Like, challenge us with it. Let's talk. Really, we like to do that. Jesus wants to baptize you into a whole new life. And if you're here and you are a Christian, let me ask you this question. Is the cross of Christ defining you every day? Or are you running back, having, having gotten into the Christian life through the cross, are you now running back to performing or the eject button? What are you doing? You have not yet exhausted the gifts that Jesus wants to give you. So come back to Jesus. He'll tell you who you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us because we are sinners. We perform and we hit the eject button. And we want to be captivated with you.
So do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to get that done. Amen.